In 2003, I sat on the floor of a Books A Million store on Highway 280, and I had books strewn all around me. You know the kind of books that are really thick and full of colorful pictures, the sort that draw you in? Well, that was what was on the floor around me. That was the moment, and that was the day, that I decided I was gonna walk away from a very lucrative corporate career and open up a chocolate store. <laughs> Have you ever had a moment that was so significant in your life that you could close your eyes and you could be back there in an instant? You could see what you saw, you could smell what you smelled, you could feel what you felt, because that moment was so key and pivotal in your life. Well, that was that kind of moment for me. And I just had to take a second look at what I was doing. I was making a choice to go on a new adventure. And there were three kinds of people in my life at that point. There were people who thought that like, I had a little bit of a screw loose, that maybe I was going through some sort of a midlife crisis. And there were people in my life who were like championing me, go! They were so excited. And I think they were excited because they had dreams too. They had things they wanted to do and they were rooting for me because they wanted me to succeed so they could take a risk and they could step out and do something. But then I think kind of my third sort of situation was the most fun for me. They were just people who were perplexed. What are you doing? I remember the day that I called my staff together and told them that I was resigning and I was gonna start this chocolate store. One of the women sort of raised her hand like she was in school and she said, I have a question for you. Just a question. Have you ever been in a kitchen, Glenn? Do you know anything about cooking? Do you know anything about chocolate? The reality was I didn't. The only thing that I knew about chocolate, I had read in those books. And I had read about becoming a chocolatier. And now that's what I was off to do, was become a chocolatier. Today we're gonna talk about being disciples and disciple makers. And I think you're gonna be surprised that chocolatiers and chocolate makers have things in common with disciple makers. When I set out to learn about what I was doing, I had to go experimenting. I didn't know what to do. I bought chocolate, I bought equipment, I got in my kitchen, I started mixing things up. I didn't know the art, I didn't know the science, I didn't know the vocabulary. I had never heard of the word viscosity. I'd never heard of coverture. I didn't know what crystallization in chocolate was. And I didn't know something that I think the average cook knows. I didn't know what ganache was. Well, ganache, for those of you who don't cook, is this decadent goodness. It's basically heavy whipping cream mixed with chocolate to create this satiny, ooey, gooey mixture that you put inside of truffles or you pour over cakes and it is just fabulous. But if you don't know what you're doing, you can break the ganache. It doesn't come out right. 
And in the beginning, I broke a lot of ganache and I made a lot of ugly chocolate. But here's something I can tell you. Ugly chocolate and broken ganache tastes good. There is nothing wrong with it. It might not look pretty, but it tastes pretty good. We are going to talk about what it means to be a disciple this summer. And one of the things I discovered as a chocolatier is I could only go so far by reading in books and experimenting in my kitchen. I needed someone who would walk beside me and help me learn what to do. And one of the things I had learned is that great chocolatiers in Europe study for three years as an apprentice with a more experienced chocolatier. Well, I just quit my job, so I wasn't hopping on a plane to Europe because that was just not in the budget. So I did the next best thing. I reached out to some people and I asked for some help. And I asked for people who were more experienced to walk alongside me and help me know how to do this. And I also enrolled in a European culinary school in the United States that was designed for people who owned chocolate stores. And so that began my way of learning what it meant to do that. I have discovered following Jesus that the same thing is true. We need someone to walk beside us, someone to guide us, to help us learn what it means to follow Jesus. You know, in the beginning of Christianity, when Jesus first approached Simon Peter and Andrew, when they were out fishing on their boats, he just said one simple thing to them. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Just simply follow me. He didn't look at them and ask them to do more than that. And what they did is they dropped their nets, they left their livelihood behind, and they began to follow Jesus. And they began to learn his way and to learn what it meant to be a follower. In fact, early Christianity was called the way because there were a group of disciples following Jesus and they were learning his way and they were learning how to live. And so it was referred to as the way. You know, one of the clear messages of scripture is that we as disciples make disciples. Let's take a look at Matthew 28, which is commonly known as the Great Commission. It's probably one of the scriptures that more people in church are aware of and know. So let's take a look at it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus said this to the disciples as one of the last commands that he gave them before he ascended into heaven. And this is something that we can have a personal relationship with Jesus that is magnificent. It is life-changing. But if it ends with us, it is incomplete. 
it is not a life that Jesus intended for us. It is not the life that he laid out for us if we don't share it with others. So if you have been following Jesus for more than a week, I have a question for you. Are you a disciple that makes disciples? I bet there's some people in the room that are like, of course I am. Surely. I mean, this is what you do. This is what it means to follow Jesus. But I also suspect that the majority of the room said something like this to themselves. Well, kind of. Sort of. I did at one point. Well, actually, no. You know how I know that? Because I've talked to people in the room and because I've read a study that was released by Barna. And Barna is a research company that polls churches and Christians. And one of the statistics in that study was that 20% of people are in a discipling relationship. So 70% of Christians are not following this command. That just, that baffles me on some level. But at the same time, I've had points in my life where I didn't follow this command. And so I just started asking myself, why is that? Because if God is good, and he is, and if his commands are for our good, and they are, then why are we not following this command? Because it is a command, it's not a suggestion, it's not a if you want to, it's a command that's for our good. So here's a few things that I think might be getting in our way. One of the things that I have heard is, my life is busy and I don't have time. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Is your life jam-packed with full schedules? How about this? My life is still a little bit messy. How can I teach somebody else? I don't have my life together. How am I supposed to show somebody else how to do this? How about this? I'm afraid I don't know enough. I don't know where to start. I don't know enough scripture. I don't know enough theology. I just don't know enough. Or this. That's not my gift. Others have that gift. This is not about gifting. It's about commands. I don't know how to. No one ever did it for me. Boy, is this a common one in our churches today. No one ever did it for me. Here's part of what I also think we think. We think that this is scripture that is written to the church and to church staff and to pastors and to small group leaders and to elders, but not to us. This isn't something for us. So I think we get tripped up by these being sort of a symptom and not actually the problem. Here's what <clears throat> I think happens a lot of times that we don't really realize. And that is there is an evil one at play in our world. And he does not want us to do this. He does not want us to align our lives with Christ because what he knows 
is if we do, our lives will change. We will be different from the inside out. So he is constantly at work trying to trip us up, trying to convince us that we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we don't know enough, our schedules are too full. He is constantly at play working on us. I know for a long time, I just believed those things. And you know what? This is not the first generation that's been true of. We are not the first people he has been trying to trip up. Just take a look at Peter. Here Peter is, he takes Jesus's at his word and he goes and he follows him and he follows him for three years. He eats with him, he's with him day and night. He celebrates with him, he cries with him as things happen in their lives. He comes to a place where he says, I know you are the Messiah. I know that you are who I have been waiting on. And yet, when it comes push to shove and things get uptight and Jesus heads toward prison and it's inevitable that he is headed toward the cross, what does Peter do? Yep, he denies Jesus. He allows that voice to talk to him. I don't think that Peter got up that morning and said, you know what? I think I'm gonna go out today and deny that I know my savior. I think he got up thinking it's gonna be a great day today. And then things happened and he listened and he paid attention to that voice and he succumbed to it. You know, the thing about that is when Jesus rose from the dead, and he did this commandment in Matthew 28. It was about six weeks after the time that Peter said, I don't know who you are. So what did Jesus do? I love this. He looks at Peter and he says, go, make disciples. I will be with you always. He doesn't look at him and say, you blew it, bud. You got your last chance. You don't get to do this. No, he looks at him and he says, go, make disciples. Let's take a look at that word go and the word disciple. You know, some Bible scholars think that a best way to interpret the word go is to interpret it as you go, when you go, as you go to work, when you go to the gym, when you go on vacation, when you go on a mission trip, and when you come to church, make disciples. So that it is something that is fluid and is a process. And the word disciple in the Greek is matheteo, matheteo. And it means, it's a verb, it's an action word. And it means to become like the teacher, to become a follower and in turn make followers. It's not passive, it's active. It's something that we do. It's not something that we do when we have our act together. It's not something that we do when we know everything. It's something that we do because we are actively pursuing Jesus, growing, changing and developing. 
You know, I think sometimes we think about discipleship as the point where you grow and evangelism as the point where you hear about the gospel. And I think we think about them very delineated, like two distinctly different things, that evangelism is about the gospel and discipleship is about growth. And I think it's not quite as delineated like that. I think it's more of a process. The gospel is for all of us, not just for people who don't know Jesus. It is the way our life is shaped. We are shaped by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The gospel defines who we are and how we live. So, it seems like that we might look at this a little bit differently. It's not so much evangelism and discipleship, but more that it is discipleship as gospel growth or followership. It's something that we all have and that we all need in our lives to inform the way we live. It teaches us to be better parents. It teaches us to be better spouses. It teaches us to do our jobs better at work. And I think one of the things that happens when you invite people into a relationship is that sometimes they begin to learn Jesus's way and they begin to behave in the way of Jesus before they get to a place where they're ready to admit that he is their Lord and Savior and they want to submit their life to him wholly. Sometimes people begin to live the way before they accept Christ. And so it's more fluid. You know, our church, his mission is based on Matthew 28. And it is that we invite and equip people to follow Jesus. We invite people into a relationship with Jesus. We invite people into a relationship with us. We invite people into a relationship with this church body at Mountaintop. We are in the business of inviting, but not just inviting, we then turn around and equip people because we walk beside them and teach them what it means to follow Jesus. You know, discipleship is about entering into an intentional relationship. It's about inviting people. We invite them to come and see and to come and grow, to come and see who this Jesus is and what this life would be like if you experienced it with Jesus. In scripture, we see times of formal teaching and we see times where Jesus, the disciples, later on Paul, teach to crowds. But we also watch them living their life in smaller ways with 10, 11, 12 people and walking with them day by day, living with them and teaching them how to follow Jesus, teaching them what it means When life is hard, how do you do that? When life is good, how do you do that? What does it look like? You are uniquely placed right where you are. You have people around you who are ready to be loved. You have people around you who are ready to hear about the hope of Jesus. And you are the only one who knows those people 
not the person beside you. They have another set, another sphere of influence, another group of people. I don't know your friends. And so you are uniquely qualified to reach them. They want to hear from you that you love them. They're looking for authentic relationships. We just came out of a year and a half of isolation. People are dying for friends. They are dying to be a part of things with others. Here's what I would tell you. People are looking for a friend who will live the good news, be the good news, and share the good news through their own life story. They want to connect with you. They want to know who you are and they wanna understand how you live this life you live. They don't want you to be perfect. They want, don't want you to know everything. They just want you to be genuine. Yet we worry that we are not enough and that we don't know enough. Well, I have to tell you, we don't need to worry about that because we know someone who knows enough. We know Jesus. Let's take a look at Matthew 28 again. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? To who? Jesus. I don't think I heard you. Who has it been given to? Yes. It hasn't been given to anyone but him. He is the ultimate disciple maker. He is the one who makes a difference. He is the one that we are pointing people to. He is the one who does all the work. I think sometimes we think that's our responsibility, but it is God who does the converting. We are responsible for loving. I think we get that upside down. Somehow we think that all that pressure is on us, and so therefore we get paralyzed and we don't necessarily walk beside someone and help guide them or introduce them to Jesus because we're afraid that we won't get it right. Well, guess what? That's God. That is Jesus through the Holy Spirit that transforms lives. That's not us. Yes, the Holy Spirit lives within us and he gives us comfort and he gives us wisdom and he guides our way but he transforms our life. He transforms the lives around us. That's not our responsibility. It is his responsibility. I have to tell you that this is eternal work. This is not just for this life. This is for the next life. This is kingdom work. And Jesus is inviting you to be a part of that. How exciting is that? You are holy. You are righteous. You are a new creature because the Holy Spirit lives within you. That is good news. That is news worth sharing. Amen? Yes. Well, I want you to meet four people who are doing just this, and they're doing it in their everyday lives. This is Ben and Jennifer Feinberg, and Jen sang this morning on stage. She and he live in my neighborhood. They moved in about two years ago, 
And when they did, Jen and I started taking walks on Saturday morning, trying to, you know, get healthy. And we started having dinner together. And invariably, our conversations came back to one thing. How do we talk to our neighbors? How do we reach our neighbors? Well, they're real introverted, and I'm more introverted than extroverted. And so we're not likely to be the ones to go out first. Well, last fall, the church gave us an opportunity to do a study that Carter had written. It was called Base Camp. And in Base Camp, it was a complete picture of the Bible from beginning to end. And we were invited to go out and start small groups with people that we didn't know. And so we said, this is our opportunity, we're gonna do this. And Ben put a Facebook post in our Facebook group of our neighborhood. And this is essentially what it said. Hey, wanna study the Bible? A couple of us are gonna get together and do that on Tuesday night. If you're interested, meet us in the park. 12 people showed up. 12 people that we didn't know showed up for a Bible study in our neighborhood. That just like blew my mind. We did that four week study. It is now nine months later. We have done multiple studies. That group has grown. In fact, about every six weeks, we start on a new book of the Bible and a couple of more people jump in and are a part of that. And there is a neighborhood who's studying the Bible together. So here's what I want you to know. Ask a friend to join you in becoming a disciple maker. You don't have to go by yourself. Remember, Jesus sent out the 72 in pairs because he knew that two were better than one. And so you have an opportunity to go with a friend. Now I want you to meet Virginia Davis. She is going into the eighth grade and she is a small group leader downstairs with our children's ministry in preschool. She and an adult co-lead and she loves those kids. She wants them to know that God loves them and that Jesus wants to be their forever friend. And she is so invested in them and in their families that a few months ago, a couple of the kids were dedicated here at church and she asked her mom to bring her to that dedication so she could support that family and she could support her friends. And so one thing that you need to remember is you're never too young to become a disciple maker. This isn't something that age gives you, it's your heart. This is Jenna Kirkendall, and I'll bet you, you have seen her on stage, and if you have a kid in VBS, you definitely know who she is. Well, she is in a unique stage of life. She has three teenagers. Y'all praying for her? <laughs> She's got three teenagers, and she volunteers here at church. She runs them around to every sporting event, every science project, every activity. She has a full-time job, she has a side hustle, and she's involved in student ministry. Her calendar is packed. I would challenge you to have a calendar more packed than hers. And so she sits in this really unique opportunity where she has a couple of young girls who came to her and said, I would like for you to spend some time with me. I'd like for you to disciple me. And she thought, I, don't, I really wanna do that, but how am I gonna do it? I can't fit it in my calendar. So she had to get a little bit creative, and she did. 
And what she did is she works out a couple of days a week. She walks her neighborhood. And so she invited them to come along and take a walk with her. Discipling as you go means inviting people to join you in what you're already doing. Yes, we have packed calendars. Sometimes it's just a matter of inviting somebody to do what you're doing and to come alongside of you. Yes, there are times you want to add to your calendar, but sometimes it's not about adding, but more about inviting. I think that what I want you to know is that you have a unique opportunity to make a difference. There are people in your life, here at church, at work, in your neighborhood, that need you. They need your friendship, they need your love, they need your wisdom, they need your experience, and you are the only person that can do that. So what I wanna suggest to you is that you have a next step. We all have a next step. You know, we don't ever arrive. I don't care if we've been following Jesus for a week or for 30 years, we all have a next step. So my suggestion is if you still have questions and maybe you're not sure about following Jesus or maybe you've been following him for less than three years, then I suggest you get in a group and in about three or four weeks, we're gonna launch new groups here at Mountaintop. And so that will be an opportunity for you to step in and to do that. I'm not saying that you're not ready to disciple when you have been following Jesus less than three years. I am sure there are people who are ready to do that. What I am saying is I likely think you have questions and maybe, just maybe you've not had anybody walk beside you. And so that's a great opportunity for you to have someone walk beside you. Now, for the rest of us who've been following Jesus for more than three years, it's time for us to take action. It's time for us not to be the 20%, but for us to be the 70%. The 70% who make a difference. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray fervently. Carter kicked us off with this series talking about what it meant to pray fervently. And he talked about consistently going before God and asking and petitioning. And he challenged us and asked us to choose someone that didn't know Jesus to be able to pray for them for several months. And I hope you've been doing that. But if you haven't, today's a good day to start that. But I want you to pray for something else. I want you to begin to pray that God will open a door to show you who to begin a relationship with. I want you to ask him every day for the entire month of July to open up a door and show you where to start a relationship. And at the end of that time, I'm hoping you will know your next step. I don't know your next step, but you will. And here are some things that I think you might wanna consider. You know, we have small groups here and it might be time for you to step up and start leading a small group at Mountaintop. It might be time for you to do what Ben and Jen and I did and start a small group in your neighborhood or at your workplace or at the gym. Or maybe like Virginia and Jenna, it's time for you to invest in kids or in students. 
I've got news for you. There are parents that want an adult voice that is not theirs in their child's life, helping them navigate what it means to follow Jesus. There are tons of ways that you can do that. I don't know what that is for you, but you do. This is what I do know. I know you are uniquely positioned to make a difference. Every week we stand on this stage and we say, God is for you because we want you to know that God is for you. And we say, we are for you. And that means we as in staff, but that means we, the body of Christ, are for you. And then we say, let's go be for Birmingham. That's what it means to be for Birmingham. It means to go love the people that God has placed in your life. And when you do, you will be changed from the inside out. You will be different and the people you encounter will be different. Don't miss this opportunity. Lord, thank you so much that you loved us enough not to leave us here on our own, that you wanted a relationship with us. Thank you for sending your son so that we might have life, we might have it eternal and abundant. God, I thank you that you love us that much. Lord, I ask that you would teach us to turn around and love other people the way that you have loved us. God, I ask that you would break our heart for what breaks yours, that you would show us how to walk beside one another, how to guide one another, and how to love one another so that we could make a difference in our home, in our neighborhood, and in our city. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your kindness. Amen.